All right, let's just begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, welcome you into this place. Our hearts are made for you. Hearts are restless without you. Help us to come to experience that longing. I pray for openness in this room today. I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, that those who need these words this morning might hear them, that it might bring about the glorification of your kingdom, that you might enter into our hearts in a new way, fill us with peace and joy as we wait for the coming of of you at Christmas and you at the end of time during this Advent season. Just inspire our hearts today to receive even just the smallest of invitations and just to embrace that. Just take one step deeper. Help us to know who we are, not from our limited view of ourselves, but always from your look of love upon us. Help us to tap into that restlessness within our hearts as something that is driving us towards you. Help us to fall in love with your providence and your generosity today. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so, can you hear me? Is that going to be possible? Back corner. Can you hear me? All right. Good. Good, good, good. Okay. So, my name is Father Matthew Schillmuller. Uh For those of you who don't have me, may I have some seniors here. Um, Briefly, I just I went to I went to Pius. Uh, I graduated in 2014. Um, so less than 10 years ago, I was graduating from Pius the 10th, and I, it would have been really hard for me to believe that I would be back like 10 years later uh, teaching seniors um, at Pius again. And uh, and I did sports, so I did the sport thing, which is kind of what gathers us here this morning. Um, I did wrestling for a really long time. I was a wrestler for like kindergarten on through my junior year, and uh, I started running in seventh grade, and so there was always kind of this relationship between the two. Uh, In high school, I started out as a wrestler who was trying to run, and by the end of high school, I was a runner who was trying to wrestle, and then just really just became a runner. Um, I found that I had this real drive to run, and I gave up wrestling my senior year just to like full-on train uh, in running, and my goal was to go and run for the Huskers. Uh, I wanted to be a Cornhusker. I wanted to, it's kind of like the Nebraska dream as a little kid, like you want to be a Husker. Um, That was my dream and my goal. And I worked my butt off. I worked really hard. Um, I was waking up in the morning before going to school at Pius. I lived in the Highlands. I'm from North American Martyrs. Go Martyrs. Go Stangs. Let's go. Um, That's actually go Jets, but yeah. So I I was be like waking up at like 5 a.m. I'd run five miles. I'd go drive across town, come to school. During the winter season, I would take my off period and I would go running along O Street and come back. I would do evening workouts at Bob Devaney in the winter uh, for track. Um, I was running extra in season. I was getting tips from coaches around town. It was kind of like a movie. It was kind of like Rocky. Like I was, you know, running really hard and everything. Then I like go get the priest blessing, you know. And I was going to mass. Even at times I was going to Mass every day. Um, but I, what I brought with me during the whole time was like this running identity. Like this was my, my running identity. And by my class, the class of 2014, I was voted to be most likely to be an Olympian. So people just knew me as like this guy that was just like mad crazed on running. 
I, it was this thing that I really identified myself with. Um, I don't know if, like, if you do cross-country and track and stuff like that. Like, I was on Flow Track. It's, like, this uh, website that just, like, you watch that workout Wednesday and you get all hyped up. You're, like, watching the Michigan Wolverines, like, doing their crazy workout or, like, watching uh, different teams like Wisconsin and just, like, yeah, it's just a crazy thing. If you're a runner, you, like, kind of understand this. But you, just, you can apply that to, like, any of your sports, you know, just getting really mad crazed about it and finding yourself just identifying yourself in social circles by that sport that you do. Um, so I worked my tail off in high school in my senior year, and at state track, I, I ran exactly what the coach at Nebraska was asking me uh, to do in order to walk on. So I ran the mile in four minutes and 29 seconds, and I ran the two mile in nine minutes and 30 seconds. And um, that was exactly what uh, the coach was asking me to do uh, to run at Nebraska. And so I remember, like, a week later, like, I showed up at his office. Like, he didn't even invite me over. I, like, went up to his office. and like, dude, I ran. I, I, like, showed him, like, the paper. I was like, I ran exactly what you want me to do. And he was like, okay, I'll let you run. So <laughs> I spent that summer training really hard. Um, I was getting my mileage up uh, significantly more than what I was running at Pius. We were running maybe, like, 20 to 30 miles a week, and I got up to, like, running 50 to 70 miles a week in that summer. Um, had some really crazy runs, uh, and I started to meet my teammates and everything. Um, and then pre, preseason conditioning started, and I moved in on campus at Nebraska. And that first day that I showed up, I walked into my room at my suite, and it's just chock full of stuff. I've got, like, seven pairs of shoes. I don't, I'm not kidding right now. Like, I, I've got running shoes. I've got shoes to walk around in, walk around in campus. Um, I've got... Shorts, pants, compressions, short sleeves, long sleeves, tanks, winter coat, raincoat, wind coat, spikes, jerseys, three bags, three backpacks, like as if I need three. Like, I don't know, like you use a different one every day, I don't know. I had a large duffel bag for traveling. Like, this was like everything. Like, just, here you go. And what we were told is that you have to wear this stuff everywhere and you have to like promote this uh, identity. Like, you're a student athlete on campus you need to let people know that you are part of the Huskers uh, team. Like, you wear this logo, this is you, this is who you are, and you wear that Adidas logo everywhere you go. And if we would show up at practice without wearing Adidas, we would be kicked out for the day. You couldn't go into the facilities. Like, that was what you had to do. This was part of, like, being part of this brand and this team uh, meant that you were basically, like, branded all in. And the facilities were state-of-the-art. Uh, there were two stations on campus just for athletes to get, like, any sort of, like, Gatorade product you would ever want in all the cliff bars in the world. Uh, the training table for our own personal meals. We had our own, like, personal person who would, like, uh, she'd make, like, make us, like, she'd, like, memorize, like, every athlete's sandwich. And I would always, like, in the evening, I'd be right next to Kenny Bell. I don't know if you guys remember Kenny Bell. Like, he was, like, this big guy, and I'm, like, this little kid. I'm, like, I'll take a chicken sandwich. And he's, like, I want, like, all the meat and everything. It was pretty amazing. Um... <laughs> We had the best study spaces, Memorial Stadium at night, all to ourselves, 24-7. Uh, we had tutors for every class, massive computer rooms. You could go with a PC or MacBook. Uh, we had Husker Bucks to get food at restaurants downtown. Uh, all the athletes got MacBooks. Um, it was the ultimate feel-good session, uh, just like the whole time. Just like fill you up with like everything. We're going to give you like everything that you want uh, to make you happy. And it felt so good, and it felt so powerful. So then the season started going, and things got really intense. Um, I'd be, like, walking around campus all day for class, like five to seven miles of walking, 
and then we were practicing mostly twice a day. So while in the summer I would get up to like running 50 to 70 miles a week, our first week at Nebraska we ran almost 120 miles. We woke up every morning and ran six miles at six minute pace. So if you like think about that, that's crazy. Um, and then we'd come back in the afternoon and we'd have like this tough interval workout. It'd be like 12 to 14 miles and like you did that every day for like the first like two or three weeks. And I would like, I was left crawling. And uh, I was tired and exhausted. And the, one of the problems, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. It's like, that's one thing today. Like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. And this was training like I had never experienced before. And everyone was just kind of focusing on themselves. And some could actually, like, handle that. But I felt like I had to just put on a show that everything was fine because everybody seemed okay. But we were all kind of living off of this identity of being a student athlete and being a Husker or, like, wearing that logo or being on that team. But I wasn't rooted in anything else. So I never had, like, a crisis of faith but I wanted my faith to serve my athletics. And I wanted faith to serve my sport. I wanted God to make me faster. That's what I prayed for. I didn't want my athletics to do anything for God. I didn't want my athletics to do anything for God. And so I was running all the time, not getting hurt, and so I'd race. And then my performance started to just plummet because of all of this really hard work and just intensity. My body was not made for that high-octane high mileage training. And I could force myself through everything, but I wasn't getting better, and I wasn't growing, and I was just surviving. And I started to run worse than my high school times eventually. Just got, like, crazy. And that was where the sirens started going off in my, like, in that interior conversation with yourself, you know, that you have. And I started running worse than my high school times, and, like, that really freaked me out. And I really just panicked. And I was like, I can't, like, lose what I just sacrificed everything for. I spent my entire, like, senior year, like, crushing myself just to get to this place. And now I'm, like, not even doing as well as I was in high school. You see, like, we put value in the things that we sacrifice for. It's a very human thing, and it's especially true for athletes. We put so much value in the sacrifices that we make to get better in the things that we do. It's a mental game probably more than half the time. And it absolutely can terrify us as well, especially on a stage like college sports, where it's more than just like signing up for something. It's where you feel like you've been chosen to be perfect in this sport. And so we love it so much because we sacrifice for our sports. Um, And I was beginning to feel this other kind of like this other side of things. And so I had to find a solution for my worsening condition. Like, how am I going to start running faster And um, I felt that I had to do enough to please my coach, so I'm, like, trying to do everything. And he wasn't really around himself. He was out recruiting, and he was actually having, like, assistants run practices and everything. Um, And so everything, uh, my identity was so caught up, though, in this running and myself and this identity as an athlete that I tried to just solve everything in that interior place. And I hope that you find from today that that's not the right way to approach these issues and these problems. I was too afraid to advocate for myself, and nobody was really showing concern for me. And every athlete kind of ends up having their own coping mechanism for what happens when they fall into stress. And most, at the time when I was in college, most were turning to weed and turning to sex. Uh, They were turning to weed and turning to sex. A lot of athletes drank, but that was just kind of like a basic thing, a basic foundation. It kind of was like, it led to more things. 
Um, and I went to parties. I didn't touch the drinking. I didn't touch the sex. I didn't touch the weed. Um, but I found my own coping mechanism. Uh, when I was starting to run worse, I developed this really uh, terrible eating disorder. And I just like stopped eating. I convinced myself that I was carrying too much weight and that if I lost enough, I could be fast again. And so I kept a scale in my room and I was constantly weighing myself and I just grew more and more disgusted with my image and how I viewed myself. I found a dieting app on my phone. I calculated every freaking calorie that I was taking in um, and I was even avoiding water at times because I thought it would add weight. And this is, what a structure of sin, this is why a structure of sin is so nasty to us. And yet it's so easy to fall into. It gets justified so easily because we think that it's going to solve everything in our lives. That's what I thought. I thought that this, this problem could be solved by something that I could do here, by stopping eating, um, and that that would just solve everything in my life. Uh, but it was actually enslaving me and starving me, quite literally. There was a voice inside my, inside my heart that I was listening to that said, you are worthless, your body is ugly, you are slow, and you need to prove yourself to everyone. These are all lies. These are all lies that I gave myself into. So in one semester at UNL, that's all it took, one semester at UNL, one semester, I lost 20 pounds. And that's more than 50 pounds ago from where I am right now. From August to December, I just started to plummet. It only took one semester of college to send me to rock bottom. I was going to Mass, but just kind of going through the motions. And I wasn't praying. And the more I performed worse, the more I actually hated God. I didn't realize it, but I actually feared Him. And I, was actually, I was, think I was actually scared of God at that time. I was scared to come to Him with anything that I was going on. And my body even started to revolt. I was convincing myself that I needed to stop eating in order to get better and to get faster. And I was monitoring every calorie in and calorie out. Uh, and I was trying to burn as many calories as possible on my runs. I was like, it'd be like hot out and I'd be like wearing long sleeves. Um, and I even turned it into a game. It's nasty and it's sick. But I was trying to see how much of a difference I could make in those two numbers. My calories in and my calories out. It's freaky and it's nasty. Sin is sick. And sin is slavery. It is slavery. My whole identity was wrapped up in being a husker. And I panicked the moment I realized that I wasn't enough. And I tried to take my life and my identity into my own hands, and I didn't actually realize how enslaved I was. And I was practically choking myself to death by not eating. And it sent me to the hospital eventually, because I started to have organ failure, because I had less than 1% of body fat in me, and my intestine was wrapped around my liver and was choking my, it was choking my liver to death. On the surface, I just wanted to live and not address my issues. And I just experienced a lot of shame for myself. And I figured that most people probably just feel the same way. So what's the harm? I ran for that season and I was kicked off the team. My performance, as you can imagine, got worse and worse. I ran in the Big Ten Championship that year because I wasn't injured and I got Last place. I couldn't run more than five miles without losing blood, and I won't explain how that happened. I have anemia from that one semester at college, and it will never go away. It will scar my life, 
And it is a mark of my woundedness that does not really go too far beneath the surface for me. I get tired every day. I have to stop and take a nap every day because of what happened in that semester. I perpetually have to slow myself down. I get a lot of energy, but I have to perpetually, I have to slow myself down every day um, to keep myself from just getting over-exhausted and tired. Uh, it's something that I am marked by from this time. I tried to shove God away and take everything to my own hands, and I think that I was taught that on the very first day of college, and I wasn't guided, and I wasn't ready for this. When all of that gear was sitting in my room and all those things, and then the voices of the people around me telling me, indoctrinating in me this identity of myself, I just ate it all up because this was my absolute dream. And it was all that I ever wanted, and I wasn't thinking of anything else, and I wasn't thinking of anyone else. I just wanted to be the athlete. I wanted to be the Olympian. I wanted to be loved and be seen by everybody, even if that meant that I would be loved less as a son of our Heavenly Father. And I didn't recognize what kind of spiritual suicide I was committing. But the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. I thought my life was over when I was kicked off the team. And it literally felt like death because my identity was wrapped up in being that Husker athlete. I was an absolute wreck. I hated running. I was full of anger. And I even lashed out at some of my close friends who just wanted to help. And I think that I actually hurt people during that time. I think that I actually hurt people. It's something that I'm still trying to go through right now. I got a phone call from some other schools at the time because I was in the transfer portal for the NCAA. And the coach in South Dakota called me and told me that he wanted me to come run at South Dakota that next semester. I was in a really dark place, but the only reason, the only reason that I decided to go was because on that phone call, he told me that God is not giving up on you and that God would never grow tired of me, no matter how tired I had become from running away from him. Crazy. When he said that, you have to think, I have never met this guy in my life, and he just is talking to me about God? You can't do that in the NCAA. It's like against the rules to talk about God. When he said that, there was this spark of hope in me that I had, never, that I had not experienced in a long time. And it did not come from my interior trying to handle everything myself. It did not come from the way that I wanted it to come. But it came from outside of me. It came from this coach. And it came from Jesus, who knew how broken I was and who knew that he was outside of me. And he, knows, and he knew exactly how to work his way back into my life. And so I went to South Dakota. And um, when I was there, I was trying to introduce myself to people you know, as like the student athlete, I kind of just fell right back into the same problems that I had. My identity was still wrapped up in being a student athlete. And I remember I was literally introducing myself to someone at the Newman Center. And I was like, yeah, I'm the student athlete. And they literally like stopped me in my tracks. They were like, that is absolute bullshit. They're like, that's bullshit. Like, you are so caught up in everything that you do. And you don't recognize how much you're loved by God. So you're a beloved son of God. And I, like, okay, I had heard that from time to time, and, like, sometimes it can just seem cliche, but I think the vulgarity was actually something that got me, like, okay, there was a spark there. And I've recognized in myself that it hurt to hear that from somebody. It hurt for me to be called the son of God. Because I recognized that I really didn't, I don't think I actually wanted to be a son of God. 
I think I really just wanted to be a student athlete. And when he said that to me, it made my insides tremble because I recognized that the facade and the mask that I had made of myself had to begin to die. But when I started to embrace my identity as a beloved son of God, gradually and slowly, I came to find that my body was actually a good thing. Uh, That my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That it was something that God delighted in. And through my friends and through this community around me, I recognized that Jesus, looking back on it, Jesus was just loving my hearts down. He didn't come barging in. He was loving my walls down. He was loving the walls around my heart down. You know what? And I could be, I could be an athlete, but I discovered that I was chosen for something that was more grand and more beautiful and something more foundational than anything that I could do, but that I'm a beloved son of God because of what God has done and not because of anything that I did for myself. And I decided that my friends needed to be people who were going to reinforce that identity in me. And I encourage that for you, all of you guys. And it doesn't always have to be something explicit, but it should always be your desire and your aim. Because you have an influence in this school that is unprecedented. And something that you will probably never realize. It's just simply true by the excellence of what you do. People are enamored by what people do. It's just the truth of it. And we pay attention to the people who do amazing things, like athletes. Athletes are just those kinds of people, which means that you all have influence. You have cred, which means that you can make a difference and you can draw others into excellence through what you do, but most often it's not going to come from the thing that you do. It's going to be from the kind of people that you are. It's going to be from the people that you are. And I think we're beginning to see this in in, in society, that if we embrace our identity as something that is superficial or just floating on the surface, we'll just go through the motions of everything and we'll end up very depressed. And we'll never really get down to the deep questions of meaning. But if we receive our identity from God, things always go deeper. Things always go deeper. It makes all the difference because the trajectory of life will be going somewhere beyond the sporting field and something beyond the things that you do. So that the things that you do and your athletics can be something that you actually can excel in. So that sport can actually be what it's meant to be. That it can be something that we can develop our skills in. That it can be something where we test our limits, where we take risks, where we're creative, where we're resourceful. We find new ways of doing the same things. Because sports are like the soil for growing in virtue. It's so good. It's, it's a gift to mankind. I, I love sports. Don't get me wrong. Sport, but sports can also be dangerous. It's like it's a burning torch. It's a burning flame. And you have to know yourself and you have to know how you train. And you have to allow your coaches to slowly develop those skill sets. But if our identity is found in our sport, the gratification is only fleeting. And the moment that something goes wrong, we all will begin to lose hope and we won't know where to turn because we internalize and we indoctrinate within ourselves that we're just losers and just a waste of time. Here's the thing. I was offered everything and I seemed to have everything at my fingertips. Every resource in the world, the best facilities, the training team, everything to make myself the greatest. And I embraced it. But the honest truth is that it was not enough 
the moment that I ran into conflict and into pain, even self-inflicting pain and panic. It wasn't enough when I ran into adversity. It wasn't enough when I ran into sin. And it wasn't enough when I began starving myself to death. All of the stuff that made me feel good about myself and all the ways in which I experienced pleasure were not there for me when I hit my deepest pit. Because only God can be there. Our sports can't go with us into the depths because when we go into the depths, our sports just tell us that we're losers and failures. God is the only one can get there that can get there. And what's beautiful about that is that he often does it through our friends and our teammates. And I propose that for you today. Because I discovered that actually, I'm not enough. And none of us is enough by ourselves. And self-sufficiency is suicide. But Christ is enough. He's actually more than enough. He is the Lord. He is God. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Wherever you find yourself right now, He says to you, in the interiority of your heart, even in the ways in which you feel numb, he says, my grace is enough. It is overabundant. It is overflowing out of a pierced side that knows all of your woundedness because he allowed himself to be wounded for all of you. His grace is triumphant. He is the victor in every consequence and circumstance because he has triumphed over the cause of all of our problems. Sin and death and Satan and hell. In all the ways that we have given ourselves over to those things. But when I look at a crucifix, because of this whole experience of my life, I see a man who has never... I see a love in which I have never been loved before. I look at a crucifix and I see I have never been loved by by someone like that ever in my life. And that is what convicts me to give my life to Jesus. And I worship him because he has stomped Satan in the face in the resurrection. And he has given me hope that the deaths that I have experienced in my life have meaning because he has made me a member of his body, which I receive in the flesh and blood of the, in the Eucharist. He gives us himself for our identity. We don't have to go around looking for someplace else to find that. There are so many lies that are going to come with growing up And if you are not rooted in the truth made flesh, you will lose control and you will fall. But even if you fall, even if you fall, even if you find yourself in a pit, even if you find yourself in a dark place, even if you feel like your one companion is darkness, I know from firsthand experience that God is not tired of you. He's not tired. And he's not giving up on you. He continues to stand at the door gently and knocks. He permits everything to happen in our lives for us to become saints. He allowed me to inflict wounds on myself. He allowed me to be cruel to myself. He allowed me to fall into shame at how I looked at myself in the mirror. He allowed myself to fall into an eating disorder He allowed myself to embrace the identity of being a student athlete. And he allowed myself to fall into the pit. And what is so paradoxical, and something that I could never discover if I had never eventually been brought to Jesus by my friends and my teammates and the priests around me, is that 
His permission for my wounds is mercy. It's mercy. Because every wound that I have discovered within myself helps me to recognize that I am tired, that I am restless, that I am disintegrating, that I am not enough, which makes me run as fast as I can into his fatherly arms and into the wounds of his most sacred heart. You can bring others to the sacred heart of Jesus. You can bring others to hide within his precious wounds. And you don't have to have all the answers for your friends or your teammates, but you do have to be there for them and bring them to Jesus because he alone is enough. You are beloved. Thanks.